Now, there's so many people in this room that have been with me at my worst and have continued to love and to support and to encourage. And uh, I'm speaking to this conference is really the vision of this is really for the young ministers. And I'm not going to put a number on that. I'm just going to say, you know, I, I realize that young people are always hungry, always hungry. You feed them a T-bone steak, and then they, they're getting a, a, a bowl of Cinnamon Toast Crunch five minutes later. and They're always hungry. and So I'm just going to say I'm, I'm speaking to the hungry ministers here tonight. And, and you need people in your life that can see you in your darkest and your worst and continue to encourage, continue to love and support. Isaiah chapter 10, verse 27. Um, I'm going to read that verse. Keep it up there. But... I kind of just, I want to show you these, these, this little context for, because of the environment we are currently facing and, and what's going on overseas, uh, I, I read these two verses preceding 27, don't, you don't have to, you just leave it right there, media team on 27, but from the NLT it says in verses 25 and 26, God is speaking and says, in a little while, my anger against you will end, and then my anger will rise up to destroy them. And it says, the Lord of heaven's armies will lash them with his whip. And as he did when Gideon triumphed over the Midianites at the rock of Oreb, or when the Lord's staff was raised to drown the Egyptian army in the sea. Now, verse 27 in the King James, he says, And it shall come to pass in that day that his burden shall be taken away from off thy shoulder and his yoke from off thy neck and the yoke and the yoke. Everybody say the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. Somebody say the anointing. I want that, don't you? And finally, I read one more verse, Mark 10 and 27. Jesus, looking upon them, saith, With men it is impossible, but not with God. For with God all things are possible. I wish somebody would shout all things. See, I don't know if you really believe that. Do you believe 99 things or do you believe all things? I'm here to preach under the power of the Holy Ghost. The anointing of all things. The anointing of all things. Would you pray with me, Lord Jesus, I love you and I thank you for the words that have already gone forth in this house. I feel your spirit of prophetic anointing upon us right now. God, and I pray that you would help us to hear what the spirit is saying to the church. That when we leave this service, we won't walk out with just a touch or a halfway full. But my cup is going to run over with the oil and the anointing of all things. Now, would you clap your hands and somebody shout hallelujah. Amen. High five your neighbor and say all things. Hallelujah.
the anointing of all things. Forgive me for referencing a writer who's not with us, but I have been consumed the last month or so feeling, and I was looking at the calendar this afternoon. When was it? It was just a few Sundays ago that the Lord put, a, put in my spirit just this simple word, it's time to go all in. And, uh, and I preached on that subject all in, and, and at the end of that service, the Lord, and I had been praying for weeks for God to give us the gifts of the spirit of tongues and interpretation, and that Sunday, God answered that prayer, and there was tongues and interpretation that went forth, and God just simply said, my grace is sufficient for you, but your time is running out. He said, the window of your opportunity is closing. Choose you this day whom you will serve and how you will serve him. It's time to give everything you have to Jesus Christ. And, and I, I've read a book several years ago by the writer and author Mark Batterson, who wrote, in fact, his book is entitled All In. He needs the Holy Ghost, I'm sure. He needs to be baptized in Jesus' name. But he wrote a few good words that I want to reference here, the outset here of my sermon. And he said in his very first chapter of this book, he said in reference to a band of brave souls, of brave souls who a century ago, they had these, these missionaries became known as one-way missionaries. They purchased single tickets to the mission field without the return half. And instead of suitcases, they packed their earthly, their few earthly belongings into coffins. As they sailed out of port, they waved goodbye to everyone they loved, everything they knew. And they knew they'd never return home. One of these missionaries set sail for an island in the South Pacific knowing full well that the headhunters who lived there had already martyred every missionary before him. But he did not fear for his life because he had already died to himself. His coffin was packed, and so for 35 years he lived among the tribe and loved them. When he died, the tribe members buried him in the middle of their village and inscribed this epitaph on his tombstone. When he came, there was no light, but when he left, there was no darkness. Patterson goes on and says, when did we start believing that God wants to send us to safe places to do easy things? That faithfulness is just holding the fort and that playing it safe is actually safe. That there's any greater privilege than sacrifice. That radical is anything but normal. Jesus didn't die to keep us safe. He died to make us dangerous. And faithfulness is not holding the fort. It's storming the gates of hell. Uh, he goes on and says, the will of God is not an insurance plan. It's a daring plan. Listen to this. Uh, the complete surrender of your life to the cause of Christ isn't radical it's normal and the time it's time to quit living as if the purpose of life is to arrive safely at death <laughs> later in his book he says that you could sum up this concept of going all in in one word consecration because anything, in any time that God is about to do something amazing in our lives, he calls us to consecrate ourselves. Think of Joshua when he said to sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And now this is Batterson talking, okay? You, I, I, you would almost think this was a Pentecostal talking, but it's not. He says, before I tell you what consecration is, 
Let me tell you what it isn't. <laughs> it's first night, right? He said, consecration is not going to church once a week. It's not daily devotions. It's not fasting during Lent. It's not keeping the Ten Commandments. It's not sharing your faith with friends. It's not giving God your tithe. It's not repeating the sinner's prayer. It's not volunteering for ministry. It's not leading a small group. It's not raising your hands in worship. It's not going on a mission trip. He said, my greatest concern as a pastor that people can go to church every week of their lives and never go all in with Jesus Christ. They can follow the rules but never follow Christ. He says, we've given people just enough Jesus to be bored but not enough to feel the surge of holy adrenaline that courses through your veins when you decide to follow him no matter what, no matter where, and no matter when. He said, if you're not hungry for God, it's because you're full of yourself. And that's why God cannot fill you with his spirit. But if you will empty yourself, if you will die to self, you will be filled with his spirit. And lastly... I quote, he says, we are too Christian to enjoy sin and too sinful to enjoy Christ. We've got just enough Jesus to be informed, but not enough to be transformed. I don't know about you, but I'm tired of just playing games. And I really believe that we are closer to heaven than we have ever been. That I... Woo. At any moment now, the clouds are going to roll back and Jesus is going to point his finger to Gabriel and say, go ahead and blow that trumpet and the rapture is going to take place. And those of us who have our hand to the plow and our eyes on Jesus are going to be caught up in the air to meet him. I want to go all in, and I, I want the anointing of all things, of which I'll make sense of here in a moment. But the epitaph of those in the Bible who went all in reads like this. In Hebrews 11, it says that by faith, these people overthrew kingdoms and they ruled with justice. They shut the mouths of lions, quenched the flames of fire and escaped death by the edge of the sword. And their weakness was turned to strength. They became strong in battle and put whole armies to flight. And others were tortured, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. And they placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. Some were mocked and their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in prison some died by stoning and some were sawed in half others were killed with the sword some went about wearing skins of sheep and goats destitute and oppressed and mistreated they were good too good for this world wandering over deserts and mountains hiding in caves and holes in the ground and all of these people earned a good reputation because of their faith yet none of them received all that God had promised I wonder if there's anybody here tonight that is ready to give God everything. I just read a report this morning from the Middle East. Khalid Mashal, the leader and founding member, member of Hamas, gave a speech today asking Muslims around the world to radically give of themselves. He listed five things for them to do, but I won't go through those things. At the end, he said this, and I quote, Money is important, but today we are asking for your blood and souls to be sacrificed for Palestine. If they can do that for Palestine, how can we ask anything less of ourselves than everything we've got for the souls of this world? It's time we...
I don't know if you can hear me. It's time we present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto the Lord. This is our reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing. This is why Paul, who was afflicted, this is why Paul, who was afflicted as much as anyone had ever been, he said, and I, brethren, when I came to you, I didn't come with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. He said, for I determined to know one thing. I only wanted to know one thing, Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling and my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom but in demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men but in the power of God I'm preaching to an apostolic movement tonight, uh, an apostolic body tonight uh, that's tired uh, of enticing words, uh, that's, uh, that's tired of just good oratory, uh, but we want the demonstration of the... Consider, consider this man who became one of the disciples, Matthew. But we find in the book of Luke chapter 5, his name being Levi here in this passage. The Bible tells us after these things, Luke 5, 27, that Jesus went forth. Now catch this glimpse with me, okay? He went forth. He saw a publican, a publican which is the tax collector, his name Levi is sitting. He's sitting there in his corruption. <laughs> I'm going to get on thin ice just a little bit here, but he's sitting in his place of corruption. Hadn't even gotten to the altar yet. And Jesus looks at him and says, Follow me. The NLT says that he. He said, follow me and be my disciple. Here's where, here's where we really find out who this Levi really was. In the next verse, it just simply says, and he arose. He rose up. He left all. Everybody say left all. He rose up and followed him. You compare this because this... this <laughs> This would kind of wreck us a little bit, wouldn't it? If, if one of our great pastors, one of our great leaders 
happened to go to somebody in your city who was living in corruption. He is corrupted. In fact, I found, I know I got the theologians here, but I, I did a little study and found there is no Greek word for corrupt. That, that they would use the term tax collector to call you corrupt. Today they would maybe call it IRS. I don't know. I'm not going to fill in the... They would just say, if he's corrupt, they just say, you're a tax collector. It had the connotation of corruption. That's who this dude was. And Jesus didn't give him a flyer and invite him to church. He said, come be on my staff. That's what I thought. You went from open your mouth to. That's what I thought. He said, follow me and be my disciple. Here's, here's where you separate the men from the boys. The next verse says, and he left all and got up and followed him. Now, a few weeks later, Jesus is brought to another man. When I think about this, you know, everybody does this, or you should at least. When you read scripture, I'll sometimes go to bed and I'll be thinking about this and and my mind starts going to crazy places. You, you don't want to go into some of the crazy places my mind does. But before it gets into the land of crazy, I start kind of putting myself in the, in the story. And I'm thinking, all right, he was brought to this guy in Mark chapter 10. See, if this was a story of 2023, this man would have been called a social media influencer. But in that day, he was called a rich Young ruler. He was very influential. He, he, he had money. He, he was young. He was youthful, energetic. He was a ruler, meaning that he had influence. He, he had many people who followed him. In today's standards, he probably would have had a million or two million subscribers on YouTube and TikTok. The Bible says in Matthew 10, 17 that Jesus was going forth in the way, and there came one to him running, kneeling to him, and asked him, good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, why do you call me good? There's none good but that, but, but one that is God. And Jesus says, well, you, you know the commandments. You're, you're, a good, you're a good Jew. You know the law, 613 of you. You know. You've been raised in Sunday school, and he said, you know, don't commit adultery, don't kill, steal, bear false witness, don't fraud, defraud, and honor your father and mother. And he answers unto him and says, Master, I, I've been doing all this stuff since I was even younger than now. He says, from my youth, but we know he was even young in this moment. It's, you know, I understand that I'm 35, and if I said I was getting old, some of you would laugh at that, but, but we're all getting old at the same time. Time is not speeding up for anybody individually here tonight. But he says, I've observed all this, these commandments, this law from my youth. And, and watch what Jesus says. In fact, in 21, I love this. This is a, a great piece of context because it says, Jesus beholding him, he loved him. Now, when I'm going off into this land of imagination, I'm, I'm kind of thinking Jesus has called several disciples. He's, he's called 
He's called these men who are fishermen who can't catch any fish, who are unlearned and ignorant. He's got a corrupt tax collector. But finally, we found someone that you don't have to clean up. And so my mind thinks it must have been Judas. Judas was probably on Instagram and said, this guy's got it all. Look how many followers he has. He's, he's got money. He's an influencer. Woo, Jesus. If you treat this dude just right. Now, now a few weeks ago, Jesus, you lost 10,000 people at Capernaum. John 6. You lost 10,000 souls. We could have had a mega church. We could have stopped wandering from town to town, not knowing where we were going to sleep, eating stale bread, uh, trying to pay our taxes with going fishing and getting the corn. We could have. <laughs> we could have had the padded pews. And, but you're getting a second chance. This guy has got money. He's got popularity. He's got power. He's got prestige. But Jesus said, I'm no respecter of persons. Let me talk with him. And Jesus looks at him and he loves him. And he's told him, these are the things you need to do. You already know this. And this influencer said, I've been observing. I've been keeping all these things from my youth. Watch what Jesus says in this verse 21. He loved him and said unto him, one thing. Everybody say one thing. One thing thou lackest. Go thy way. Now, again, this is my imagination. Because so far he stayed in the book, right? Don't commit adultery. Honor your father and mother. He's staying safe. He's telling what he already knows. And Judas is like, good. You're doing good. How to win friends and influence people. Don't go to the radical stuff. The first Bible study. Start with something everybody knows. Noah's Ark. Start with something everybody knows. God is love. And Judas is like, you're doing good. Don't offend them. And Jesus says, one thing you like. The way I see it is, Jesus took his eyes off of the rich young influencer and turned to the 12 who had already done this. And he said, you lack one thing. Go sell a tenth, a tithe, everything. Go your way and sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Watch what he says. And you will have treasure in heaven. What's treasures in heaven? Well, in my opinion, that's souls. He said, go give up your temporary belongings and then you'll win souls with me over the next couple years. He said, you'll have treasures in heaven. And watch what he says. Come, take up your cross and follow me. And Judas says, well, there goes another one. See, I, I, I know I'm adding the end to the text here, but this is my head. I'm thinking Judas is over there, and maybe some of the other disciples, too, are thinking, Jesus, he's got 10,000 followers. He's rich. He's young. He's a ruler. If you win him, you win all them. You win him and you could double everyone you lost in Capernaum. And Jesus said, no, I, I ain't here to play games. 
I'm here to separate the wheat from the chaff. Watch what he said. He said, go and sell everything. Oh, my word. Uh, we think we preach a radical message today, don't we? Hey, we need to turn off social media for a couple days. Hey, we need to come spend 10 minutes in the altar. That's not radical. Radical would, you, would be you getting in your pulpit, pastors, saying if you want to come back next week, go sell your house, go sell your three cars, go sell your dog, give it to the poor, and I'll let you back in the church. Jesus is on a whole other level of radical. He asked for something that wasn't in the book. He asked for something that wasn't in the commandments. He asked for something that his spiritual leaders never told him to do. He told him to give. Watch this now. You got to catch this or you miss the whole thing. He told him to give the one thing he didn't want to let go. Remember, he said, one thing you lack. Everybody say one thing. See, he said one thing. Isn't it amazing how Jesus can find your one thing? But that ain't in the book, God. But my pastor doesn't say I have to do that. And Jesus said, yeah, but it's your one thing. It might be lawful for you, but it's not expedient for you. Now watch, stay with me. And Jesus, verse 23, looked around about, and he said to them, his disciples, how hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God. And the disciples were astonished at his words. Uh, but Jesus answered again and said unto them, children, how hard it is for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God. Everybody say the kingdom of God. That's what he's preaching. He says, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the what? The kingdom of God. Watch this. And they were astonished out of measure. That's a Greek hyperbole. I looked it up. It literally means super abundantly. That's like, that spoke to me. Anybody else like hyperboles? Watch what he said. They were astonished, and they were astonished out of measure, saying among themselves, who then can be saved? I want to point two things here real quick, because the Bible says that when Jesus told this man, you lack one thing. Go sell everything. It says he walked away grieved. For he had great possessions. That word grieved, one of the definitions is offended. That's the spirit of the age. Wait, but isn't it amazing? I'm, I'm preaching to North America for just a second. Isn't it amazing that the greater our possessions, the easier we become offended? He was offended. Because he had great possessions. 
Brother Robinette, I, I remember being in Malawi with you, and it was the worst crusade at the start. Brother Myers was there. It was the worst. It was so confusing. They had multiple platforms, and everybody was sitting facing different platforms. And people didn't know which platform to go to. Musicians didn't go. Can you imagine that? And it was locked up tight, wasn't it? I mean, the Holy Ghost wasn't moving. And then one of the missionaries came and said to us, this is a village whose life expectancy is 37 years old. They, they don't have shoes. They walk miles and miles for days and weeks to get there. And one of the missionaries said, I know how to break the spirit here. We're going to have a giving service. Giving service? They ain't got nothing to give. Oh, well, they did. Now, we ain't going to do this right now, okay? Just listen. But people started taking off their shirts. That's all they had. That's all they had. Uh, they would take off their little hat, their little straw hat, maybe their little sandals. Uh, they, would they would give everything they had. Uh, there was a lady in the audience uh, who was literally deaf and mute, uh, hadn't said a word her whole life, had been deaf from birth. Uh, she brought one quacha, which is like the equivalent of .000 pennies. She brought one quacha, a dollar bill, and laid it on the altar, lifted up her hands, and instantaneously received the Holy Ghost, speaking in tongues, and received, received the healing in her ears. I've got the video of that lady on the platform. She couldn't talk until she spoke in tongues. And she was telling everybody, I was born deaf. I was born mute. But when I gave God everything I had, he healed my... Those Malawians didn't get offended when we said it's time to give. Those people who had nothing, they didn't have great possessions. And so they were willing to give everything. Somebody shout one thing. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost. He said, there's one thing I see in your heart. That if you would do this one thing, you could come be my disciple. Notice he was given the same calling. That Levi was given, Matthew. Matthew who wrote, who's the first gospel in the New Testament. The same calling was given to this man. But he walked away offended. And so watch this. Watch what his disciples said in verse 26. Who then can be saved? Watch me. Jesus never said anything about being saved. He was talking about entering the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is about so much more than just being saved. But that's our problem. We live at such a low level with God that everything has become a heaven or hell issue. I'm here to tell you, I, I just sat at, at, at the apartment today in prayer and, and just typing everything. I felt the Spirit giving me. I, 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 don't, I, I didn't have any notes, and I felt nervous, Brother Myers, because this is the first time I preached here with notes. But it was in prayer that God was speaking to me this afternoon and I'm just typing away on my iPad and God was saying to me that this generation, they don't know how to give everything they have. They give just enough to be saved. Therefore, they have created such a low level of living in my presence that everything has become a heaven or hell issue. We got to get beyond heaven. We got to get beyond salvation and we've got to walk in the anointing of God. 
Now watch. Watch. And Jesus, verse 27, they said, who can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, with men, it's impossible. But with God, all things. This man missed all things because he wouldn't let go of one thing. I'm preaching out of my own conviction a few weeks ago. I've been building altars of prayer. Oh, I'm going to go deep in prayer. Waking up at 4 a.m. every morning and going to the house and praying. I'm not saying don't do that. But here's what was the problem. I'm, I'm doing this and doing this, and I'm not, I'm not experiencing what, I, what I've felt I would experience. I'm not feeling anything. and I, I'm not going to preface every statement. I'm not talking about living by feeling. I'm not talking about that. But after weeks of praying and building altars, uh, there ought to be some kind of move of God. So one morning, I'm doing it again, building an altar, five in the morning. I'm praying, and I'm just, I'm trying to break through. The Lord speaks to me and says, I'm not going to put on the altar you've built. My fire and my spirit until you put on the altar the thing I'm asking for. God said, you can build all the altars you want. But if you don't put the one thing I'm reaching for. If you don't kill the thing I've been asking for, my fire is not going to fall. And then we, we had revival and and the Lord spoke it again to me on Sunday, just a couple of, I mean, this was all two weeks ago. The Lord spoke to me again and said, it's time now to put on the altar the thing, the one thing I've been asking for. But God, this ain't sin. I didn't say it was sin. Your hand isn't sin either, but if it's causing you separation from me. Your eye isn't sin either, but if it's causing you separation from me, your foot's not a sin either, but if it's causing you separation from me, cut it off and pluck it out. God has sent me to this service tonight to tell you, as he said in Isaiah 43, Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? will even make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. God sent me to this pulpit tonight to say there is an anointing of all things. You trace it throughout scripture and you find Adam who God said in essence if you give me the one tree you can have the whole earth give me one thing and you can have all things 
When Noah finished giving God his one thing, he got off the ark. And right when he got off the ark, he gave God his one thing, which was in his entire life and reputation. God said in Genesis 9 and 2, and the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every fowl of the air, upon all that moveth upon the earth and upon all the fishes of the sea. Into your hand they are delivered. Every moving thing that liveth shall be meat for you even as the green herb have I given you all they didn't have it on the screen so just believe I'm reading right from the text he said because you gave me the one thing he said I have now given you all things all things all I continue. You got Cain and Abel who proved to us that you can't just build an altar, but you've got to put on that altar what God is asking for. Have you thought of Abraham? Abraham, who was a prophet and the father of many nations. Watch me now. He built four altars, but the ram didn't show up until he put the one thing on the altar God was asking for. I kind of felt I'd be preaching to about 15 people tonight. That's about what I'm getting right now. God is reaching and saying, I'm reaching for the one thing. I'm asking for the one thing. It was Abraham's grandson. Abraham's grandson who was born with the privilege of all things. But Hebrews 12, 16 says, lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold everything. One thing. When he would have inherited everything, he was rejected because of one thing. That's why Solomon said, We need less sellouts and more people and more apostolics who are sold out. Uh, I'm, I'm not trying to get you to tweet me. I'm telling you what the Holy Ghost spoke to me. We need less sellouts and more apostolics who are sold out, giving God everything we've got. I've been so convicted recently. We planted a church 15 months ago with my father in Dripping Springs, Texas, right outside of Southwest Austin. And, and I felt, I felt the resistance. I'm off my notes now. Here we go. And, and, and I felt the resistance. I felt the burden, Brother Bernard. I mean, the moment I said, I do. I pastor. I felt that weight come over me. The weight of, you don't have to preach it like that. You don't have to say it like that. You could kind of get through this loophole and, and you know, they could do it this way and, and not, not displease anybody and not offend anybody. And I'm not here trying to make anybody mad. I'm not trying to offend anybody. I'm trying to live and to preach the truth in love. 
When I, when, I, when I started the church, we, it was a former daughter work. There was, outside of my family, there was 10 elders in the church who were mostly in their 70s. There was, a, there was a couple there who had been going there now for three years, and they're the most precious couple you've ever met in your life. Every church in our movement would love to have this couple. At the time, they were 68 years old, and they were a former Baptist. You know, Baptists and Catholics make the best Pentecostals, and, and they were... And they had been going to our church. I was there when they got the Holy Ghost a few years ago, Dad. And, and you baptized him in Jesus' name. I think he met them back in the 60s at an Amway meeting or something like that. And, and anybody remember Amway? Most of you are too. I'm preaching to the young ministers. Y'all don't know what Amway is. Hallelujah. And, and they've been going to the church for three years. And, and, I mean, they're the most submitted people you've ever seen in your life. They're the first to, to show up, the last to leave. What can I do for you, Pastor? Hey, 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 what can I do for you? Can I serve you? Can I help you? Now, they were doing, if there was a hundred things, I'm just kind of being hypothetical here. If there, if there was a hundred things that we had to do, they were doing 99 of them. The one thing they had not done yet was to change their lifestyle convictions of outward holiness and separation, separation from the world unto God. But my God, they're doing the other 99. I mean, I have other people <laughs> that the only thing they're doing is the outward. I know that don't happen in Florida. But I got other people, they're maybe doing one or two things, but one of those two things is they got the outward. And I'm praying, God, I want to use this man and woman. I believe they're supposed to be leaders in our church. But, God, I need them to reflect their inward holiness. And, and so I did a series of four or five weeks on teaching on holiness, both inward and outward. And, and I got in, man, I got into the nitty-gritty. I, I started talking about adornment. And I started talking about uncut hair on women and, and short hair on men. You know, it's in the Bible still. And I'm preaching this. And I'm teaching this. And... And I've only got 15 people in the sanctuary, and the only two people that aren't doing those things is this couple. And I had to take them out to eat and said, now look, I'm going to talk about this, 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 this. I'm not singling you out just because you're, not, you're the only one not doing that stuff. I never had to do this as an evangelist. I just tear up a church and, and then say, here's the keys. You got it from here, Bubba. I go back to my first class flight and, and, and my nice Hyatt, you know, and, and I, I, where's my gift? I only got one gift basket. Now I got to sit there and look them in the face every day with a heart of love and and I'm pleading in the back. My flesh is screaming at me saying, if you say it, they'll leave. I couldn't care less about the tithe. That's not what I'm thinking. I'm thinking about their soul. God, there's no other apostolic church within 45 minutes of this area. God, don't let them get offended. So I'm teaching and teaching and teaching several weeks in a row. And, and the lady comes to my home for a Bible study with my wife and my mother. And she comes in crying. And, and she says, y'all got to pray for me. And they're thinking, uh-oh, she's offended. She said, I see it. I see the truth. But I'm struggling because I've lived this way for 68 years. And they're doing everything else right. But now this is the one thing that God is reaching for. 
She said, just pray because this is more than this is more than just a tradition. She said, this is my identity, this makeup and adornment and hair and dress. This is who I am. The next day I go to their house for a Bible study. And she looked like a Pentecostal, like 12th generation Pentecostal. And I said, I said, what happened to you? And she said, well, I got up and I prayed this morning. And the Lord spoke to me and said, Donna, now that you've seen it, and now that I've shown you, if you don't do it, it's rebellion. She said, so pastor, I got all the makeup and threw it out. She said, I got all my jewelry boxes and threw it out. And I was thinking, you should have sold it and tithed. You could have given the money. Now, here's what's amazing about all that. In the middle of all this, their 38-year-old son was on his deathbed dying of liver disease because of alcohol abuse. And the, uh, and the doctor said, we can't do anything for him. The only way he's going to live is by his own will to live. But when Ben and Donna took that one step and gave God the one thing... Hey, guess who showed up in church on Wednesday night? Their son was released from the hospital. Now, here's what's amazing. He was, he was so weak. When they released him from the hospital, they said, you can't go to your own home and live by yourself. You're too weak. You'll die. He called his mom and said, I got to move in with you. On that Wednesday afternoon, he said, Mom, y'all going to church tonight? They said, yes, we are. He said, can I come? They said, yes, you can. He walked in. I'm teaching my final sermon on holiness. He's sitting right there. Now we have 16 in the sanctuary. I'm sitting right there. The Lord speaks to me and says, stop preaching. Go pray him through to the Holy Ghost. I look up, and y'all know I'm crazy. I just said, hey, Nick, you want the Holy Ghost? And he's like, there's 16 in the room and I'm screaming like he can't hear me you want the Holy Ghost he just looks around like he looks at me and he says doesn't say a word he just nods his head I get down off our little platform I jump over the, I could have walked around but I'm aggressive I jumped over the front two pews I said lift up your hands and God filled him with the gift of the Holy Ghost I'm telling you you got to give God everything he's asking for because there's an anointing of all things waiting Pastor Myers, I submit to you right now. But I'm telling you, I feel a spirit of prophecy over me right now in the Holy Ghost. I'm telling you, God spoke to me and said they have been functioning with just a piece of my anointing. They have been operating in their churches and in their cities with just a touch. 
much of my power. But if they will give me everything that I am reaching for, God said, I will anoint you with all things. I promise you, I'm not mad at anybody in this church, anybody in the UPC. I am mad at the thief who has come to steal, kill, and destroy. While Jesus said, I showed up, that you would have life and life more abundant. But yet I see dead atmosphere after dead atmosphere after dead atmosphere, after dead atmosphere. And we say, God, we're, we're creating more services and more conferences and more rallies and more this and more this. And God says, no, you've kept all the commandments, but I'm reaching for the one thing. Let me tell you how I feel it. When I was a freshman in high school, my dad dropped me off at school. 30 minutes later, he had to come and pick me up. I was dying. I was literally dying because I ate an apple on the way to class. I ate fruit every day of my life. I eat an apple just like I did every other day. And I go to class. I have this allergic reaction that's literally killing me. And they didn't have the EpiPens and all that stuff at the school. He came and picked me up. He's speeding down the interstate to the hospital. They had to pump that mess out of me. They didn't know what it was because I ate fruit every day. They said, well, we don't know what happened. I had fruit two days after that. It happened again. Then they said, well, something must be happening here when you eat fruit. They did an allergy test. and They said, well, we think you're allergic to this and this. Well, then I ate something else when I was playing baseball in college. I'm out standing at shortstop in the middle of the game, and my body goes into another allergic reaction. I had to go back to the ER. You see, what was good for me the day before, when I woke up the next day, it would now kill me. We compare ourselves amongst ourselves, and even worse, we compare ourselves to other denominations and religions and say, well, at least we're not doing that. But if we would compare ourselves to the cross, I feel the Holy Ghost saying, you know the one thing I've been asking for. When God brought that to my attention three weeks ago, I was almost mad. I, I mean, I'm standing at the altar, and I'm wanting to scream at God, Brother Urshan. I, I promise you, I could feel my skin crawling, and, and I'm so angry. And I said, God, why that thing? That's not a sin. God said, what you're feeling is enmity. He said, you haven't felt that in a long time. He said, for my spirit is enmity with your flesh. And when my spirit steps in and you feel that clash of kingdoms, you feel enmity, contention, a 
defense. You feel war is raging. It is a war. Your flesh is raging against the Spirit of God. And you've got a choice. Respond in humanity or respond in humility. Respond with anger or submit and say, God, I will give you the thing you're reaching for. Lift your hands all over this house for just a moment. I want everybody to just listen. I want every eye closed around this room. I'm going to tell you the last word I wrote down this afternoon as I felt the Holy Ghost speak to me. I felt the Lord say to me, because of these last days, I am reawakening and reviving the voices of apostles and prophets. There are some in this very room who are functioning in a one-dimensional state of anointing. God, there are some people who are walking completely in the wrong office of ministry. And God said, I've raised you up to be an apostle. I have raised you up to be a prophet. But the Lord says... Because you're not giving me the one thing. You will remain in that lukewarm state. That one dimensional level of ministry. You may win some. But you will not see the complete fruition. Of my vision for your church and for your city. There are men and women alike standing in this room right now. Right now, that God says you were born again with the office of an apostle, the office of a prophet, the gift of faith, the gifts of healing, the discerning of spirits, the word of knowledge or wisdom, prophecy, diverse tongues, interpretations, uh, the working of miracles. And God says you're just walking in a one-dimensional state of ministry until you relent and relinquish the one thing I'm reaching for. I will impart the anointing of all things if you'll conquer the one thing. I don't want any music right now. I feel the Lord reaching in this place. I wonder if there is an apostolic man or woman in this room that is fed up with just enticing words of man's wisdom. 
that is so discontent, so hungry for a demonstration of the Spirit and the power that you would be willing to step into this altar right now by faith and say, God, I will give you that one thing and I will give you everything. I will give you all and nothing less so that I can carry the anointing of all things, the anointing of apostolic authority and dominion and power. Come on, push into this altar. Push your way down into this altar, everybody, if you can, or make an altar where you are. Gather into this altar and say, God, this conference is more than a conference. This will be a memorial of impartation of your spirit, of your power. I will give you the one thing. I will give you the one thing. It's not heaven or hell for me. God, it's about the anointing of all things. Come on, lift your voice. Lift your voice. Lift your voice. It's not condemnation. It is the love of conviction that God is drawing nigh unto you, saying, I've got something more for you. This is what we're going to do. If you are able to just listen for a second, this is how we're going to pray. This is how we're going to pray. This is how we're going to pray. Like some of you, probably like many of you, I, I've, become, I've become almost addicted to reading the biographies of our apostolic pioneers. I've been to several conferences, youth conventions, and, and I've walked up to the pulpit with the Korean frontier, the biography of Brother Bernard's parents and himself when he was a child. I walked up to youth conventions or youth camps and walked up with the Bible and that, that Korean frontier, and I've read as long as 30 minutes at one time just reading the book at a youth convention. And at one youth convention, after reading stories of our Pentecostal ancestors from just years ago, not, not centuries ago, just years ago, they would have to literally pick up the young people at 2 or 3 in the morning from the altar and carry them back to their dorm. Reading these stories, Bill Dross, the Pentecost, and 
radically apostolic and other stories and other books. It's challenged me and it's convicted me. I prayed, God, don't let me become cynical because there's times that I, I don't want to put anything down on an iPad because I just, I, I, it's like I feel, God, I, I want to just pray and get into the throne room and walk straight from your throne room to the pulpit if I've got to preach. I don't want to have a title. I don't want to have a text. I don't want to, I said, God, don't let me become cynical. Don't let me become bitter. But I've become challenged because I, I've read in fact, I, my great-grandfather, J.D. Watson, who pastored in Oklahoma and then Paris, Texas, six-foot-six, tall man. I don't remember the equivalent of his education, but it was somewhere around fourth or fifth grade education. And You read his sermon notes, and they, the words were spelled phonetically, you know, and he didn't spell the right words. He didn't have anecdotes, alliterations, and I'm not against any of that. I, I had some of that tonight, but... They didn't have fancy titles, and they didn't have screens. And again, I'm not against any. Please hear my heart. But they would get up there with these sermon notes that, I mean, you, you, you would think, how in the world could they have survived as a preacher with notes like that? They were attacked unlike anything I've ever experienced. Yet they saw hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, some of them, Thousands and yes, even tens of thousands of people receive the Holy Ghost without an alliteration, without some fancy anecdote and fancy sermon title. And why? And I've realized now this is for me, maybe some of us. I've realized how have we become better preachers spending less time in prayer and study? Is it because we have the access of technology and the tools of study and, and we can look up the Greek and the Hebrew so easily and I'm thankful for that access. But God, don't let it take the place. Don't let the Logos software and the apps on my phone take the place of the anointing that breaks the yoke. My anecdote might inspire, but the anointing will destroy the yoke. My alliteration might cause you to remember, but the anointing. Where is the anointing? I wonder if some of you that are desperate would find a place on the floor and just bow on your knees and say, God, I humble myself before you. God, I don't want to function with my ability. I want to function with your anointing. I want the oil. I want the oil, God. I want your spirit. I want your power.
Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. There's an anointing coming to you. There's an anointing coming to you. There is an anointing of all things coming to you. There is an anointing of prophecy coming to you. There is an anointing of demonstration coming to you. There is an anointing of prayer coming to you. There is an anointing of fasting coming to you. There is an anointing that will usher you in to the secret place of the Most High God. Come on, lift your voice and pray. Lift your, lift your voice. Somebody groan in the Holy Ghost. Uh, somebody travail in the Spirit right now. Somebody get desperate in your spirit.